Welcome to the fifth episode of Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Austin Darris, part of BMO's U.S.-based fixed income sales team. This week's episode is titled An American Perspective. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Before we start, let me provide a bit more color about Mr. Austin Darris. BMO has multiple offices in the U.S., and Austin holds the fort down in Boston. Yeah, that's, that's right. Austin is in Boston. I'm sure he's never heard that one before. Austin has deep knowledge of the Canadian derivatives market, though he covers all types of Canadian dollar fixed income products in addition to our U.S. dollar offerings. I've asked Austin to join me to provide some perspective on what the American investor base is thinking about Canada at the moment. I know that Austin has taken the time to prepare thoroughly for this podcast, so it's your time to shine, Austin. Before we start, is there anything you'd like to tell our audience about yourself? Uh, nothing too specific. Thoroughly honored to be on the podcast. 2020 has uh, all sorts of surprises, and uh, I can finally check podcast guest off my list. I think this might be an interesting conversation because normally I'm calling you, asking you all sorts of questions, and now the tables have turned a little bit. So Excellent. I, I pref- much prefer other people talking too. It works out really well. Okay. Uh, so it's currently Wednesday afternoon. Uh, this is the day after the U.S. election, and uh, we don't have a final result yet. Not sure when we're going to get one. It does look like things are trending toward a Biden win, but there, there's still plenty of uncertainty there, so I wouldn't call it by any means at this point. And it looks also like Congress will remain split with a Republican Senate and Democrat-controlled House. Since things will probably change by the time this uh, podcast is released, just because we don't really want to overlook the election entirely. But uh, Austin, do you have any brief thoughts on the election here? And, and then we'll, we'll move on to kind of a little more Canada-specific stuff. Um, yep, I think uh, you're spot on. Whoever wins, I think Biden is technically the uh, betting favorite. Um, we're going to have a, a probable one-term president uh, with a razor-thin majority. So I think that is uh, going to change things, especially in duration markets. Um, and you're seeing that today as, as, as TY is at the high of the day. It probably takes a major stimulus off the table without a real risk off. We're probably not getting infrastructure no tax change, no big new green deal. So we're going to have less inflation, less supply. It's bond positive. It's probably equity positive too. Relevant for duration because uh, Canada five years lagging here pretty nicely versus the US, uh, making two to three week cheaps cross market. Um, and we're probably back to good news is good news and, and bad news is bad news for what that's worth. That would be nice. I, I love when things make sense. Uh, I, th- I think, well, I mean, going into today, if, if I had given somebody this result, where we are right now at three o'clock on Wednesday, I'm pretty sure nobody would put the markets apart where they are right now. Stocks up kind of two to three, if not four percent for the Nasdaq. Bond yields down heavily with with the long end. Just uh, seeing a massive double digit rally here. But let's move along here. Uh, don't because just because things can change so much, we don't want to spend uh, too much of our listeners' time on the election. Uh, let, let's go back in, in time a little bit. Uh, last week's Bank of Canada announcement a, a little bit surprising. 
and the way that they change their QE program, they introduce a little bit new forward guidance. Our candidate, one of our candidate traders, uh, got it right on, nailing the nailing the call. He effectively said that they would they would do a little bit of tapering and, and extend uh, the, their weighted average maturity, and, and that's exactly what happened. Good job, Nick Wang. Uh, he definitely definitely knocked the pants off me. That's for sure. Austin, let, let's take this to you and 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 uh, what you're hearing out of the U.S. U.S. investor base. Uh, what was their reaction to the taper move from an expectations perspective? Is there anything that they expect kind of that sticks out a little bit uh, and, and is different from what you're hearing out, out of Canada? No, uh, you know the immediate follow through was was definitely interesting. The long end in Canada, cash uh, that was definitely the knee jerk. And a little bit of spread uh, buying seemed to be unwinds of shorts as opposed to anything new. There wasn't a major follow through. We did uh, have the deck 51 auction the next day. So I think the follow through was kind of short lived because of that as well. It seems as so though you hit on a bit of a theme there talking about, about spreads. And you are a bit of a specialist on the derivative side. So I think it, it's good for us to focus there a little bit. I guess one of the key takeaways if the bank's going to move a, a little bit further out the curve, still. Buying a pretty meaningful amount of of, uh, of bonds, even if they're buying a little bit less, it, it's pretty clear that uh, they told us that they're going to be buying less front end stuff. They've already uh, canned the uh, sub two year buyback. I would guess that the uh, two year buyback itself will be cut by about a billion or so, and the majority of the increased purchases will probably be in the five year sector. I guess that that really depends on whether they are comfortable increasing the DVO one of their purchases or not. If if they go they put more in tens and longs that that will they'll have a tough time keeping the DVO one relatively constant from where it has been. Uh, so I, I guess what what's the key takeaway from that? I think from on a, from a swap spread perspective, you laid things out pretty nicely. Maybe you can uh, tell our listeners about that. Well, I think the first order, and I think you kind of hit on it, is I think everyone's expecting them to immediately pivot to more buying in five year. I mean, they mentioned helping consumers, they mentioned helping businesses. Um, five year helps both. Obviously, businesses are more in the long end. So I think most people probably expect five-year to benefit the most at the beginning and steepen up the rest of the curves. If this is a roadmap to their plans, then you would expect them to continue to uh, move out the curve. And I think it's pretty easy when you look at the public float of bonds, what's left to see what they're going to buy or what they're going to have to buy. I mean, the largest bond left for them to buy in terms of public float is, is the five-year and 10-year. So they'll probably start there and then they can move out. I think they have 23 or so uh, billion of deck 51s outstanding as well. What it means for me when I look at derivatives is I think it's an immediate swap spread steepener. Um, and it took the market a little bit of time to reach that conclusion uh, last Wednesday, but it did finally get there. Um, and we did have uh, clients paying five-year and, and, and 10-year spreads or five-year spreads are probably the the main emphasis. I think if they're going to be buying cash and more cash um, and concentrating on benchmarks, it's a headline swap spread widener. I think that's pretty clear, at least how I'm looking at it. Um, the one risk is if we view that uh, curve steepening will lead to swap spread flattening, then that could be a risk. But uh, Ben, you and I both looked at the correlations earlier this morning, and, and we didn't see that as, as, as a big headwind at all. No, we did not. Almost almost zero correlation the way, the way I looked at it, at least at least in the uh, in, in two's tens. I guess if if, if I want to ask you this, if, if if the focus is on the five-year sector, uh, why would that necessarily steepen the swap spread curve? Wouldn't it, it? Would it just be a level shift higher, or maybe even could flatten on that front? Spreads unambiguously wider. I think that that part seems pretty clear, but uh, the shape of that curve may not be as clear. 
I think I agree with that. I think it's it's more my view that they probably start in five year and then they probably will continue to move out the curve from there. It's no different than just to shift a little bit to if the Fed has to extend WAM, which now with split Congress, they probably will. I think I think it's it's a it's a path that's likely for the BOC as well. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Fair enough. Uh, I, I, I would note though that just the twos tens spread curve should probably steepen. Two should, I mean, given they they've already come under meaningful pressure, so. Well, that is that is the most the logical spread. takeaway. You're, you're, exactly. You are the Bank of Canada. You're buying less twos, no sub twos, um, and you're buying more tenures, specifically the June 30s. That specific bond has mid 30 billion in float, and it should outperform cash and, and, and hence widen the spread. And there, there's still plenty of uh, two year product on the street. Uh, so the cash supply there is is pretty significant. Another theme that uh, jibes well with uh, the Bank of Canada's move and, and is, is uh, I guess, seasonally relevant uh, are, are the December 1 maturities and coupon flows. From a Canada perspective, I mean, it, it's always been June 1 and Dece 1 that have been the big, big months for flows. That That is changing given the, the big change in issuance, big increase in issuance and change in maturity dates across the curve. But they are still big, big months and, and, and they are still quite notable. Uh, and I guess that theme probably jives pretty well. Again, it, it really lends to that swap spread theme that, that you mentioned before. Can you outline for us how uh, we can use DS1 or, or why the DS1 flows would uh, would favor your thoughts or, or reinforce your thoughts on the swap spread, uh, Steve? Well, yeah, I think one of the problems when you look at spreads are they're extremely wide. I mean, Canada levels, cross market levels, and anywhere levels, they're extremely high. 10-year swap spreads are almost 50 basis points. They do have scope to probably hit 50 on a constant maturity treasury basis, and that's around five basis points higher from here. Um, so there is a tactical reason to be paid into December 1st as investors take uh, cash duration out of the market. And kind of those levels, five basis points higher, give us somewhat of a first target for that as well. So you think clients should be long here targeting 50 on that spread or be patient? Or I guess, uh, what, what, what entry level would you be looking at? Well, I think I think the bank is telling you that you're supposed to be long spreads and paid. And I think that levels are telling you that there's still five basis points there. Even though they're high, you still have some leash to get them wider. So I wouldn't be terrified of the outright levels. Okay, cool. So even though they're already seemingly rich, they're only going to get richer, it seems. Yeah. We shall and, see. And, and that's part of why you could look at it as a uh, spread of spread with two stents. There's logic and there's room in the level. So let's, uh, I guess, move away from the bank here and, and just take a, a maybe a bit of, bit of a broader look at uh, what the U.S. investor base is looking at. Like, what, are, what have been the key talking points outside of the bank and the election? I guess that those are probably the two big ones. Uh, other than those two, and, and maybe just maybe more market related, uh, what have been the key talking points for, for the investors that you speak to? I think lately it's probably been cross market levels, specifically in the front end of the curve. I think it's of the most relevance, um, especially after uh, we had an Australia cut this week. So that is something that clients are watching. Clients, US clients have long loved bed spreads um, and been fine receiving one year gaps in forward C door. So those are things that we continually watch, I would say. In terms of specific to Canada, I have gotten some phone calls from clients who want to look at the 20-year point um, on the uh, Canada curve uh, because it looks cheap. And, and they come in and, and they say, like, you know, 20-year looks, in terms of RV, looks like a great point. Um, when you start peeling it back and, and you start to look at your different metrics, cross-market comes up. And, and on cross-market, it definitely looks less interesting. It's interesting in Canada because just three-month CDOR versus three-month LIBOR is 
27 or so. And when you go all the way up to 30 year swap differential, you're at the low 30s. Um, so you could argue that basically all uh, of the cross market differential is structural and just in the very, very front end of the curve. And so that keeps us very busy. Interesting. I, I, I'm going to take, so I'm going to take the start of that uh, response there and, and focus a little bit on, I guess, what the Bank of Canada can do next. You talked about uh, the, the Reserve Bank of Australia cutting rates earlier this week. Uh, they, they cut it effectively down to their lower bound. I, I guess they could go negative, but they're, they're more or less as low as they can go while keeping rates uh, in, in positive territory, uh, cutting things down to 10 basis points. Uh, I think something similar is expected from New Zealand at some point. The Bank of Canada has, has consistently said, and, and the way that they put it in their statement, that the overnight rate is at its effective lower bound of, of 25 basis points. Uh, that's in every statement for the past since we've been at 25 beeps. They reiterate that in all their press conferences and all, all whenever they can. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not sure that precludes a further rate cut, but it doesn't seem as if they're itching to cut further. Uh, that being said, I guess like that is the next logical direction for them to go. And then from a market perspective, I guess, where would that bring opportunities? Because, I mean, they're not raising rates anytime soon. So uh, I think the, the risk reward obviously is, is uh, leans toward being law in Canada. I completely agree. Um, I think I'm kind of lucky we're not on a trading floor right now because uh, if I mentioned the Bank of Canada cutting rates from here, I'd probably get booed at this point because nobody wants to hear it. But uh, the uh, RBA cut from 25 to 10, it's a perfect roadmap for what Canada can do. If you're staring at a Bloomberg terminal, type in MIPR right now, tell me which other developed country has a higher overnight rate, and then just scroll your eyes to the right and there's implied policy there. We are, Canada is technically... Uh, albeit small, but technically pricing in hikes. And there's absolutely no reason for that. I'm not certain that they have to cut rates, but I will say that if there's going to be further fiscal support or FX strength, it's a tool that they can use and they probably will have to use. Um, there's also could be political pressure if the US goes to negative rates or if the US goes lower. And those are things I think have to be viewed as more likely than they were a few weeks ago even. Um, it's definitely a tool they, they, they could be looking at. I think that's fair uh, and, and reasonable way to look at things. Uh, I, I personally still doubt that they they cut further from here. I, them going negative seems like a pretty big long shot. Uh, the U.S. also seems to have absolutely no interest in, in going negative. The Fed just has made that pre- pretty darn clear so far. But things do change. Uh, and, and I guess uh, depending on how things shake out in the election, uh, if we don't get as much fiscal support as the Fed would like, maybe that that could force their hand. Uh, I, I still think that negative rates are more of a, an FX tool than anything else. Uh, if you want to devalue your currency, that that that's that's the way to do it. Uh, I'm not convinced it provides much stimulus for for any economy generally, given what we've seen out of out of Europe and, and Japan. Uh, so I'm, that's my my bend on that front. How what what would be the way that you'd play that that front end? What product would you look at? Would you, would it be Cedar or would you be looking maybe at OIS? Uh, which cross market do you look Canada US? If 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 you think the US is going to go has the potential to go negative, you probably don't want to be paid in the US, where would you be looking? I mean, it, it depends. There's so many ways to look at that trade. Uh, the problem with Canada is that it's much more expensive to transact than the US or, or even many other countries. Um, the most logical, cleanest place to look would be Cora, OIS, but it's expensive. Um, I would at the very least use OIS uh, in Canada as my guide. Uh, and what I mean by that is that the time to transact Cora uh, or one-year, one-year, two-year, one-year OIS would be when we are pricing in more meaningful hikes. If you can get one-year, one-year Quora to um, the high 20s or even mid to high 
20s, then that to me is something that should be received. It, it gives you some sort of a roll down and it gives you um, a greater move, obviously, of spot moves. Uh, and there's a cut or or anything like that. So just for context, one year as I'm sitting here, one year, one year Cora is mid 20s and um, two year, one year Cora is mid 40s. Um, so you have 20 basis points of roll down from two year, one year to one year, one year. Again, it doesn't mean Cora is the right way to do that, but I would look to Cora for my clues. You can be in CDOR, so two year, one year CDOR. You can be in bed spreads. It's all going to be a similar exercise. But I probably would look to pay um, in the US against it um, simply because there's virtually no role. For context, uh, two year, one year SOFR is actually the lowest rate. So SOFR fixed, and there's about five basis points of negative roll two year, one year versus one year, one year. Uh, and thereafter, there's virtually nothing. So that's something I would watch. Simply Canada, the U.S., uh, OIS space versus SOFR seems like the, the best bet for now. Uh, you, you touched on CDOR for a bit, and, and you know you, you said that the, the bad word of CDOR, which we're not supposed to talk too much about, at least not on the trading floor, but we're not on the trading floor. So uh, let's have a general discussion on that uh, in order to avoid any issues. And we, we've seen in the past uh, couple of weeks or so, CDOR, CDOR has come down. We've seen CDOR IS grind lower. I think some of the drop in CDOR is, is was driven by OIS. I mean, just simply, I mean, uh, spot CDOR OIS has been relatively steady over the past couple of months or so. But we've had kind of an increasing number of, of client inquiries on CDOR, whether it can continue to go down. What would happen if, if the Bank Canada cut rates? That that one's a pretty pretty tough call, though, in the structure there. Do you have any views on CDOR, CDOR OIS right now? Well, you had the duration hater on um Previous to me, he's definitely more of the expert, but just staring at all the variables that go into it, there are a lot more reasons for CDOR to be lower than higher. Um, that's an outright call, not a CDOR OIS call. CDOR OIS, the term structure is going to depend more on um, spot. When CDOR came down a few weeks ago, interestingly, the forwards moved more than spot, but we've had a recent correction in uh, OIS Tuesday. And it moved down two, and it actually widened uh, CDOR OIS. So it's really going to depend on which one's moving first. I will say there's been uh, some some international client focus on the Bank of Canada's release that CARS mandate had increased, and they're going to be um, looking into CDOR. Uh, to me, that means it's it, it refreshes lower. I know personally, you and I have both spoken about uh, what goes into kind of CDOR and why it's elevated to begin with, and I think we've both agreed that uh, we would look for a little bit of tightening. It's, if risk could stay elevated or supported, I think uh, uh, there is some room for the simple bid offer of CDOR to decrease. So those are two things that I would be watching. Yeah, that's pretty much my view as well. I think that the risk is, is lower uh, at this point. I would note, though, that, uh, that one of the things in, in the Bank of Canada's QE shift, uh, because they moved out of the front end, it leaves more product in the front end for the market to buy. Uh, so there'll, there'll be more supply in the front end now that the Bank of Canada's moved out of there and uh, you've seen that a little bit. You've seen a little bit of pressure in in, uh, in, in short bonds, bills a little bit less, uh, and and that might push BA rates a little bit higher as well. Just just marginally, but on the margin, that that is what matters to some extent. So uh, another another aspect of this, I guess, uh, to keep in mind, not uh, lo- lots of moving parts uh, in, in in the front end there uh, with Cedor and, and and the basis. I do want to mention that I did ask the expert, Mr. Joel Prusky, earlier today that exact question because I was interested. If, if if the Bank of Canada cuts rates from 25 to 10, what do we think Cedar OS would do? And his first reaction was uh, he would think it would probably widen uh, simply because um, he wasn't sure if BAs could could catch up tick for tick. That's fair. Uh, the BAs tend to be a little stickier generally. 
Uh, but uh, I, I think that that's for now. I, I don't see that as a base case scenario. Uh, but I think that, that given the limited downside and, and like the the fact that the bank said they'll be on hold till twenty twenty three, I think that that's reasonable. Uh, we might come run into some doubts kind of eighteen months from now or something, but that's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, if anything, you probably get more easing uh, if the virus causes more issues in the near term. Uh, one of the th- other topics that you wanted to touch on uh, before we wrap things up today uh, was threes ones in Canada, threes ones basis. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I would guess that most of our listeners are not familiar with it. Uh, so if you could explain a little bit for 30 seconds and then talk about your thoughts there. Yep. I think 30 seconds is probably the uh, right amount of time. But um, yeah, so Canada threes ones tenor basis is just the difference of one month versus three month CDOR. And we can trade that as a float for float swap. And it has gotten some attention here simply because it's at zero in five years. So you can actually exchange one month liability for a three month um, and pay nothing uh, or vice versa. And there's been a few reasons why we've seen clients um, take interest in that. One, it's zero. Uh, It should not go against you materially and should not hurt. Um, And there's a few reasons why it could widen. One of those is risk off, which is interesting because if you are looking at Canada cross market, um, and you want something to hedge you on that, threes one should widen in a risk off, whereas Canada cross market should uh, lag in a risk off. So specifically in the front end. So it's an interesting uh, hedge potentially. The other thing is we have clients who are short asset swaps or sold in spreads. And some of those clients have chosen to move their float liability from a three month to a one month because they're paying virtually nothing for that uh, inside of a half basis point recently. And the last one is that it's super low and it can widen all by itself. I mean, the, the big reason for this to widen materially would be uh, if we do have real money clients who switch from constant pay interest against uh, one, you know, some of which is worth ones, if they switch to receiving um, versus ones, this should widen materially. So it is an interesting thing to be aware of because the same basis in the US is in double digits versus zero in Canada. So we have gotten some interest in that as well. So we're running up against time here. And uh, before we conclude, uh, do you want to give clients your top trade idea at the moment since we uh, already used the went into threes once and we've talked about swap spreads, but that, that we, we could, you can go back there if you want. I think we will go back there. I'm not entirely sure it's a actionable trade idea simply because uh, I do believe it will happen, but bid offer in Canada is quite wide. Um, so it, it might be a little hard to trade since it's RV, but I would expect um, CN invoice spread um, to tighten versus 10-year headline spread. Um, and it's as much of a play on the cash curve uh, as anything else. But 29s, 30s is super steep because 29s are driven off of the CN contract. And the 10-year spread is driven by June 30s, uh, which is one of the bonds that the bank can buy the most of and probably will. The June 29s only have a $7 billion float versus the uh, June 30s, which have a $34 billion float. So I am looking for those pressures that we discussed earlier in terms of December 1, buying Bank of Canada, buying and these public floats to weigh on those spread of spread curves. There's a few ways to play it. You can be in CN Invoice or you could be in nine-year or you could be in 29-year MMS, uh, max maturity spread versus the equivalent in um, headline or uh, June 30 MMS. Again, it's not the easiest thing to trade in Canada because bid offer is meaningful. But one way I would play it is just to dissect it. And if you do need to or want to be short, spreads, I'd, I'd choose to be short 29 spreads. And if you did want to be long spreads, I would choose to do that in headline uh, for the aforementioned reasons. I think I think that micro curve should see them. 
All right. Thank you, Austin. Uh, thanks for joining here. I'll give you my, my final thoughts. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go with the trade idea, just a, a broader market thought. Look at, looking at my screen here and seeing the rally in fixed income today, uh, the rally in the rates market has been, I think, I think caught most people off guard, especially given kind of what's, what, what, what the situation is and, the, and then the fact that stocks are as strong as they are. But from my perspective, I'm, I'm not sure this really changes all that much at the end of the day. I think the outcome is, is, Probably pretty benign, assuming uh, Biden ends up winning here, the Senate stays Republican, and that the House stays Democrat. You're probably still going to get some kind of package, fiscal package. It might be a little bit delayed, and I guess that would be that would be a bit of an issue. But you're going to get something on on that front. And and a year from now, we're going to be in a better place than where we are now. The virus will be. I'm sure it'll still be around, but not in the same way it is now, and not having the same economic impact. And so. Maybe the, the move in rates here is kind of a, a level shift down, but I think the trend is still higher going forward. Uh, there may still be bumps, of course, given the virus, but uh, I think from a macro perspective, we're still heading in the same direction. It doesn't really matter who's uh, sitting in the White House or at this point. So I think we'll leave it at that for this week. Austin, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Ben. It was a pleasure. And uh, have a uh, good day, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interest in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.